1: Hello, welcome to Nick Lug Daily, the show that brings you the latest news, the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Tuesday, the 3rd of May. Tom Stanley in for Nick. He is hot-footing it to Kentucky as we speak, off for this week's Kentucky Derby. We're we'll touching on that a little bit later on on the show with Michelle Yu, who joins us. We'll be speaking to trainer Joseph O'Brien after a a brilliant four days he's had between France and Ireland and about plans for the winners he's enjoyed. Uh, We do start with the news that we touched on yesterday on on the pod, Dave Yates and Nick, and of course the president of the NTF who joined us, Rafe Beckett, who expressed his support for the BHA's proposal to axe 300 races from next year's Program. We will hear from bookmaker Simon Clare shortly about his views on the subject. Uh, Jane Mangan is my guest this week. Jane, what's your take on the British race program?
2: Look, the average field size of just over eight runners per race tells its own story, and the fact that twenty percent of the races run in twenty twenty one had five fielded five or less runners. That isn't that isn't an opinion. You can blatantly tell there's. there's a systemic problem. Um, if you look at the arguments for and against, so the, everybody is suggesting that anybody who's against or opposed to slashing 300 races off the fixture list doesn't have the best interest of the industry at heart. I would probably echo that. If anybody can tell me, aside from the monetary benefit to bookmakers and racecourses, Aside from that, any other benefit to to slashing these races or or, or to not slashing these races, I'm open, I'm all ears. Because if you're honest if you're if you're counting the money, if the money is your argument, is there anybody accounting for the damage that these type of races do to the sport, the lack of competitive races? Is there anybody accounting for the lack of interest they um, produce and maybe deter fans from the game that's, that's unaccountable nobody can really put that in to an excel sheet and make sense of it and if you break down the numbers 300 races is around 3% of the total number of races run in 2021 so as Nick said yesterday around 43 uh, meetings so I think that would be tip of the iceberg and I think it would only be a start to rectifying what looks to be a systemic problem
1: we mentioned bookmakers. I spoke to Coral's PR director, Simon Clare, a little bit earlier on and started by asking him if it would be incorrect to say bookmakers are out and out against the proposal.
3: Yes, no, I do. I, mean, I think it would be, be incorrect to say that we have any strong view on this until we can actually look at the detail. I mean, what I would say, uh, I've been mean, sort of reading, almost really reading, reading all the articles that are written so far on the subject and seeing all the really strong positive support for it or hostile negative reaction to it and yet i can't actually see any real detail I mean, there's really light on detail at the moment and you know this you know i've been involved working with uh, with the racing on various groups like the betting patterns working party many years ago now the betting liaison group i sit on and we work really close with racing and race planning the bha and the, the race courses discussing all manners of issues to do with them um, trying to maximize the levy and the program and issues and it's a hugely complex area, and the idea that there's some sort of macro chop 300 races that solves a problem, uh, sort of, spree, just is a million miles from the reality. So, I'm, I'm sure it's more, I'm sure there is more detail than just that. And there's been references to the January, January, March flat period and the July, August flat period. I'm sure those are pinch points. There's many others, you know, graded race programming, the jump season full stop, you know, is, a, is an area which has been talked about. So, I think it's hard to, to have a strong view, well, for us to have a strong view. Until we see what exactly is being proposed,
1: do, do you feel there there is a problem at the moment? Do you feel we are at the point where, as the BHA's Richard Women has said, something needs to change? I think
3: I think that this is a this is a beast. I mean, the, race, the racing industry in the UK is an incredible, uh, incredible sort of industry. Really, you know, three hundred sixty five days a year, flat and jump. You know, you've got your cool season, you've got your summer jumps you've got your core flat season in the winter and um, you've got different age groups you've got regional issues you've got ratings class issues the horse population changes you know there's new you know horses leaving the older groups you've got your new crops coming through there is you know when you even when you break boil down this issue you know you you you, you have to zone right into the to the it's a bit like you know like a, a doctor You know, if it's a heart issue, you go in and you work out what the problem with the heart. If it's a liver, it's a liver. And and this is exactly the same. And That's why, you know, 300 races, it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. It's almost when and when are you looking to change things? And then, most importantly, Tom, we're now at a point where we share the, the major bookmakers put all their betting data into one place, which the levy board holds, and we can model scenarios as to you know in terms of changes to fixtures and race programs and work out the impact of it. You can make assessments, presumably on media rights. You can then work out what it would mean in terms of the horse population. The BHA knows. All. So we shouldn't. This shouldn't be some sort of war being fought out in the media. It should be an evidence-based, you know. Um, you know, proposal or, or or recommended course of action, which would we, which would have a effectively a, a plus and minus column in terms of revenue generation. Yeah, you know, so just saying things like as, as I read, quoted, we've got to have some short term pain for long term gain. It's just it's just soundbite stuff. It's like politics. Well, it is politics, isn't it? But this we should be now at a time we're all working together to try and make the best for the sport for racing. We, I just don't. I just do not see the benefit of this being played in the media like it's been done over the last couple of days. This should be. This should be discussed, you know, with all the parties around the table, with, with, the, with the with the figures in front of them. But by and large, I'll just draw it back one step. British racing has performed extraordinarily well in the last two years. And that is, despite the fact there's been a global pandemic on, it kept the show on the road. Even with shops shut, the digital revenues were fantastic. Uh, we're talking about record prize money in 2022. The levy returns, without giving the game away, are going to be really at the top end, you know, bang up. Um, you know, the high end of expectation based on the last 12 months. So this is a sport which has come through one of the most testing times the world has ever seen. All race courses intact, record prize money two years later. And yet somehow, everything I read in the racing media and, on, on racing, t- and racing television is negative and, and doom-munk. They talk about us being a nursery to sell horses abroad. Lee Moff said did a brilliant piece a few months ago saying that no more horses get sold to race abroad now than they did 10 years ago. But that's not what you believe. You actually just read read the sort of the, the comments from people with no evidence to back it up. And it it depresses me as someone who's worked at sport for 20 years that there are so many reasons you could talk up this sport. Yet all we do, and I mean and I'm talking senior things in sport, all they do is run it down,
1: despite earning their living from it. If I yeah. can just if I can come back to um to this proposal, it essentially what you're saying is by no means opposed to it, but you need to know. In more detail, what it
3: Absolutely. is? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Listen, really, Richard has been working in the game a long time. I mean, me and him were both on the same BHA graduate course back in nineteen ninety-two, so I know Richard really well, and I know he's got the best—you know—he's got the best interest of in the sport at heart. And you know, I mean, to be honest, I—you I, know—I'm sure in the next few days I'll we'll we'll get exposed to maybe you know. I mean, at the moment, I don't even know if this is a solid proposal or whether it's just something being floated because the way it's been played through the media and not through normal channels, mm. you know. Um, so you know all of this stuff. Any changes to the program can be analysed and evaluated. You know, and if and if it makes sense, it should happen. But if it doesn't make sense, then it's right to challenge
1: it. Uh, just one thing to, to pick up on there. That I guess the main thing, Jane, that, that Simon was saying that that by no means it would would he or or other bookmakers be against reducing the list, but it. it specifics are important would you share the opinion that there's a big difference between losing 300 class six races or or losing them towards the 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 top end of the quality scale and isn't it more likely we're going to lose them towards the bottom end bottom end
2: it's not an unreasonable request to want a a little bit of detail on this it's um it's a a little bit like saying, "Give me a five-day festival in March," without actually telling me what the five races or what the five days of races are actually going to be. Um, Oh, I'd yeah. say,
1: oh yes, back to more racing. <laughs> I,
2: I, I'm not actually going to say that word because I went to the curry yesterday and Ger Lions and um, a number of trainers were telling me that you can't say that that meeting anymore. So I, I'm going. I'm going to say that week in March. Um, I, I do feel there's probably somebody a lot better informed who can see where these small races are. Now, aside from graded races, which on the jump side, maybe that's probably where that area needs to be looked at, but there's probably a population of lower class horses in the UK that need to be catered for more so than maybe another uh, demographic or area of, of racing. So I'd say there's probably somebody who knows, where these small fields lie and where they're most likely to be affected if there was a slash.
1: Okay, um, let, let's move on by looking back initially and just touching on on your thoughts on 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 the guineas, not necessarily specifically horse wise, but I guess you know Charlie Appleby's first two thousand guineas, he went so close last year. Where are you on on the the power play between Coolmore and Godolphin? I, it's something I'm finding hugely fascinating at the moment. Delighted that Charlie Appleby won a guineas. It it makes it all the more interesting, I think, going forward this season. There was so little between Appleby and and Aidan O'Brien last year with top-level wins. I think Aidan O'Brien had one more. But where do you stand at the moment as to to where the
2: real power is, Jane? I think both of them, they're called superpowers for a reason, are they not? Uh, This is another fascinating side to the game and people love to get stuck into oh one is weakening one is dominating and this and that and the other they're both doing extremely well but at the moment Charlie Appleby is um having a tremendous season as he did last year he's just picking up from where he left off last year and everybody expected him to do that because he had such strong juveniles last year um, a lot of people would put focus on Dubawi and Galileo and Galileo's gone now and will that throw the weight of power behind Godolphin but I would argue that Godolphin have had great success in recent years with Frankels and Kingman's and Shamadals. it's not just Dubawi's and um, Kulmore haven't got all their eggs in one basket when it came to Galileo they tried Warfront okay people will say that probably didn't work well Deep Impact worked the few mares they sent to Japan and they've got First Crop Justifies this year and had they not lost Scott Daddy in 2016, how, how influential he would have been. And he's influential already, but um, I think it's, it's Charlie Attenby. Like, it's hard to think. He, he began training after 15 years working in Godolphin in 2013. And the influence he's had has just been incredible. And the consistency and mapping out of races and finding the best races for his horses on a global scale has been next level for Godolphin. And I think that's what the, the power shift has really been because he's been a revelation and when you look at you know now just looking at their stallion roster last night Teofilo and New Approach have been great stallions for them producing New Approach producing Massar Teofilo obviously the dams are both Guineas winners this weekend Um Modern Games is out of a new approach mare Earthlight is the Galileo bloodline on the maternal side, Gay is out of a Galileo mare by Dubawi as is Knight of Thunder and then Craxton is by Frankel so if anybody is arguing that Godolphin are super now because of Dubawi, look at their, look at their stallion roster and the perspective stallion roster and look how much Galileo is in that blood, I think it's, it's blending two of the best stallions of the modern era and getting the results
1: yeah, and look, we've we've only recently lost Galileo. You know, D- Dubois he's not getting any younger, so it's it's really that next line which I I think is is going to be so so interesting. Where 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 does the power lie there? Do you think who has their sort of ducks positioned in in a better row, if you like?
2: Uh, that's a great question, and there is no doubt that uh, both camps are hedging their bets, they're not all eggs in one basket if anybody thinks that either Coolmore, or Godolphin are resting on laurels then they're naive to think so look, Dubawi is now 20 Uh, he's got 14 crops of racing age in the ground and has sired 49 individual group 1 winners Um, in contrast, Galeo if he were alive today would be 24 he's sired 92 individual group 1 winners and he's had 18 crops of racing age, but the big question is what are their sire lines and how, what are their sire lines going to do? How are they going to perform and who's going to carry on the line? And to date, Galileo has had 25 sons, grandsons are of his line, uh, breed group one winners. So you you can take Teofilo Franklin, the approach being the obvious ones. Um, And Dubawi sons or grandsons have sired seven. I think only um, make believe who's by Macly has sired a group one winner who's a grandson, but, you know, it's very early stages for Dubawi. Um, but I, I think the, the blending of both bloodlines will get you at a top stallion. That's why Knight of Thunder is so effective. That's why the expectation is so high for Geath. And I have no doubt about it that, you know, Kumor have sent some of their best Galileo daughters to Dubawi and they could breed a champion as well. So the power play is not lying on one sire line. But it, it's logical to expect that the best sires will probably produce their heir. It's only finding the right one.
1: Talking of, of Galileo, um, the, the great mare, Shasti, I think was sent to him four times or certainly produced four standout horses. Um, she, she sadly left us yesterday. What a, what a great loss she is.
2: Yes, Shasti was incredible for Newson's Park uh, in, in two ways. In the first way, she was an absolute cash machine. She produced horses, made 3.6 million, 1.35, 1.3, 3.4. Like She was an absolute... When it came to Tatterstall's, they must have loved to see these. Tatterstall's and Nussle's Park, uh, seeing a progeny of Shasti walk into the ring. But they made money for a good reason. She was by Dane Hill from the family of Sagamix. Um, and she produced Japan Mogul, Secret Gesture, Sir Isaac Newton and Morris. She was a, a really consistent producer of high-class horses and being by Dane Hill, she blended beautifully with Galileo and got the desired results. But uh, she was a huge loss for New South Park, I have no doubt. They have a daughter or two to carry on the line and let's see who's the heir to her throne.
1: Now, um, Joseph O'Brien has, I mean, really since the back end of last week at Punchestown when he won a, a Group 2 let's see I'm in flat mode a grade 2 chase um, and then he's backed that up with a, another couple of um, pattern Company winners over the weekend in, including Group 1 I spoke to him a little bit earlier on starting with that Group 1 Gane winner State of Rest Yeah absolutely Tom he's been a fantastic course um, for us over the last you know the last season and he started this season very well um, very you
4: know very, it's great to get a, a Group 1 winner at the board early and um, he's excited to go forward regressive for
1: season. do you have a, a sort of map of where where you'd like to go with him and when? Well, well
4: I think you know the obvious target from here is the Tanners World Cup and that's and that's where he'll go next. Um,
5: and then from there we, we will look at, you know, the top kind of ten furlong races through
4: the season. But really we will just take it kind of one race at a time and one step at a time at uh, the Tanners World Cup you know, would be the next
1: target. Uh, I suppose, uh, given his last two performances, um, well, last three, including Saratoga, I mean, that is his trip, isn't it? Ten, ten furlongs, and he seems versatile ground-wise. Yeah, he is versatile ground-wise,
4: and, you know, even yesterday, like, he travelled very strongly to the race, so he probably, probably could come back a bit shorter if we needed to, but I think ten is a good trip for him, and, you know, I don't, I don't
1: see why we would peer off that. Uh, uh, for now, anyway. And, and just working out, sort of, time frame-wise, just under three weeks until the Tats gold cup, and is that then a nice, depending on what happens, a nice time frame if you then want to consider a Prince of Wales at Ascot another, sort of, you know, three and a half weeks or so? Yeah, I think it is. Um, and, you know, that that would probably be the logical stepping stone from there. Um, uh, but, but, like I said, we will take it one step at a time. And, uh, and yeah, we we'll look forward to the current getting to be kept and, and take it from there. Okay, so um, Buckaroo today, um, second start of the season, um, uh, and a, and a, a pretty cosy success as well.
4: Yeah, um, he ran really well in Leopardstown, and uh, um, uh, uh, came through that race well. And he's been working with plenty at home. And we, we talked about going ten in Leopardstown next week. We give him a shot here at a mile, and just being in case he was a horse that we should have it. You know, we should be looking at Irish Guineas for us he probably is, you know. Um and uh um looking at him
1: today and I thought I'd be willing to probably go there next. Um perfect. I, I thought he thought he did it really nicely. Um and uh, uh, nice for, for you and Katar Racing to team up with a with a, a very good looking horse. Yeah he, he he's uh, it looks like he can be a high class horse and uh yeah Shake Farhad and uh uh Peter and David all the team um, have have been very good to me since I started training, and uh, and I've uh, had some nice horses, and it's nice to have a boat that looks like could top that. And then um, Twilight Spinner uh, winning over over seven. Were you confident she'd get the seven? Yeah, she she we kind of had her in her mind as a kind of a, a sprinter through
4: the season, but but she she like she wanted to go seven furlongs last time in court in a very hot distance. She just got that, but she was only getting going. At the line over six, so we decided to reroute and try seven third off here this weekend. And um, I mean, uh, she looked looked to really thrive on it. She hit the line very strongly, um, and the line to, to get another group win for for Scott and the team.
1: And uh, she's a you know a very a very good prospect, hopefully going forward for the season. And um, looking ahead, I mean, it's, it's non-stop for you um, between both codes, but um, on, on the flat you've got above the kerb heading to Chester for the, for the Chester Oaks. How is she? Yeah, she's, she's been in good form since her maiden win, Tom, um, and uh, she's a tall Billy who, you know, matured well from that season and we think has, has quite a bit of talent and uh, we
4: thought that Chester would be a nice education for her and a nice stepping stone for her in case she was a really, that, that, that that she'd be
1: going to Epsom. This would be this would be a good place to find out. Um, and we were pleased with her work since she's won, and we're looking forward to running her. Mm. She, she's out of a, a Galileo mare. There is plenty of pace on that damn side. I'm sort of intrigued that she's an American pharaoh as well. Do you, do you feel the extra distance will suit her? Yeah, to be honest, she's probably not guaranteed to go to get so far along. Uh, like you say, the, the, the pedigree is, is um, quicker than
4: that. But but she's a huge big mare and she she's shaped as though she would she would uh, uh, go up in the distance and obviously would be a very good hero is doing very well here and he has got a horses that, that that have stayed a mile and a
1: so I think she does have a chance to get the trip and but I guess there's only one way to find out. Yeah, absolutely. You must be delighted with where the horses are at the moment. I mean, end of the jump season, start of the flat season, and you're you're firing and the winners left, right, and centre. Yeah, so no, the horses are, are going
4: really well and. Uh, Started up nicely, and but
1: has but been
4: on fire either. The
1: horses have been running well, and you know, obviously, we've been winning some nice races. But I think hopefully we're heading into a, a, what might be a, a, a good end of month for the summer. Serious weekend, Josephs had Jane, and um, well, who of the of the horses he sent out to win? Do you want to start with? Who are you most excited by?
2: I really should start with the Group One winner, but of course, we are all about perspective and uh, potential. And I think I might have potentially seen a group one winner in the making yesterday in the Tetrax Stakes. That was Buckaroo. He was really good in the Bally Sacks at Leopardstown over 10 furlongs. And being by Fast and Rock out of a Gallo mare, I was thinking, dropping back and trip. This is a real uh, fact-finding mission and uh, an interesting move by Joseph. It was the first time the Tetrax Stakes was run at a mile. And it looked like, looked like a deep race. Glanton and Dr. Zemp disappointed. Malik's ran well. New energy. Uh, Wexford native the TDN rising star eventually finishing second but Buckaroo was in a different league he just traveled so effortlessly and he showed more pace yesterday than I expected from him and now it's a course and distance trial for the Irish Guineas it looks nailed on for him um so having run a very good derby trial he now looks like he's going to be a Guineas contender and a a very classy one at that but he was highly tried last year Tommy it wasn't exactly a a fluke. He ended up in Saint Clou for the criterium last year, where he did not disgrace himself, just beaten over two lengths by El, El Bogen in in Saint Clou But um, Buckaroo I think, be a hard horse to beat in the Irish Guineas, even if Native Trail does come over.
1: Oh, big call. Um, I think. Na- I think the the view is that Native Trail is a, a sh- not a shoe in because you can't be for an Irish Guineas. But the view of this this. Um, Newmarket Guinea's form, I think, is that it's, you know, half impenetrable. So I'm excited to see that you think there's a serious one up against him. And any other takes from yesterday, Jane?
2: There was so much good racing yesterday. Blackbeard won the first flyer the race that threw up Castle Star last year. Castle Star, hopefully on target for the Commonwealth Cup after running such a good race in the Middle Park last year. But I suppose the highlight of the day was probably Lafayette. Noel Mead, better known for his jumping string, is making quite the impact on the flat now. Again, he has held a big dream for the Tata Stahls World Cup. He's the reigning champion, having won that Group 1 last year. And Lafayette doesn't actually hold an entry for the Tata Stahls World Cup, but he won yesterday's Moore's Bridge over 10 furlongs, a Group 2 beating Bear Story and Visualisation. Again, high-definition meant off favourite and again he disappointed. But Lafayette came from last to first. He's won a listed race this year, a Group 3 and now, a group two. He's a very progressive five year old. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up with the top hat and tails on at Ascot. He's quite good.
1: Right. It is Tuesday. That means it is Weatherby's time with
0: Nick. Time to go around the Bloodstock world, Tom, with our friends at Weatherby's, their stallion book and their excellent global stallion app. And I'm very grateful to our friends at Weatherby's for connecting me to Italy because we don't feature Italian racing in Bloodstock enough on this podcast. But today, uh, we can hopefully make up uh, for that by connecting with Dr. Paolo Crespi, who manages the most established and best-known stallion farm in Italy, Alevamento di Besnate. I apologize if my pronunciation needs a bit of work. It's correct. (laughs) It's okay. Well well spoken. It's okay. It's just perfect. Paolo, it's great to connect with you. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your uh, history in bloodstock and, and, and the establishment of, of your farm. I know you've been been oh, where you yeah, are for... The
5: establishment for... of the farm is a funny uh, story since it was established something like 120 years ago by a, a family of businessmen in Milan who uh, made the farm for uh, breeding resources and were very successful in the beginning since they... Uh, actually bred for dairy winners in the space of five years, but then eventually they founded the University for Economic Studies in Milan, and they gave the farmers a gift to the university, which uh, uh, caused uh, the crazy thing that the university was breeding resources. And so they changed the, the purpose of the farmer uh, that became a public farm in the sense that we do Do not own horses, we just give the service. Provide the service to breeders and to stallion owners who eventually place the horses with us.
0: So it's a bit like Italy's version of a national stud, something like that.
5: Yes, I believe that they went to England and they saw the national stud, which is public also in the sense that it's owned by the state. But they just um, did the same thing, basically.
0: And and so if you were to characterize what what you are trying to achieve, what identifies your stud and the, t- the type of stallions you try and, and stand? What what would you what would you say? How would you sell
5: Actually, it? Actually, it has always been very much uh, a point of giving a service to breeders. Eventually, when uh, Italian racing went a bit down and wasn't producing anymore the number or the quality of stallions that uh, the market would have required, we tried to establish a name <coughs> with uh, big bigger. Uh, uh, owners, uh, resource owners of so farms around, and uh, then we started to stand horses on other, say, other people be alpha, like uh, big farms. We had Darley, we had ne- even the English and the Irish. national start. We had American owners. At, at the moment, we have many stallions from Shadwell. We have Chadmont or uh, many others. Basically, when we find uh, a horse that... Uh, might have a chance in Italy and maybe you would find it difficult in the more uh, uh, competitive market that you have in England especially or in Ireland, I would say. We ask if they would want to stand in Italy. They become profitable many times. It has even even happened more than once that the house that was brought to start to Italy then was sold for very good money in other places by the owners.
0: Who would you say?
5: It's a, it's a good way to keep the horse alive in the market.
0: Who would you say, uh, Paolo, is is capturing the imagination of Italian breeders at, at your stud at the moment? Who who is the easiest at stallion the to stand?
5: Much the new uh, Well, at the moment we have we are standing Arcano, which is by a long way the best uh, horse in Italy in terms of results. He was. Uh, he smashed the uh, competition, the competitors last year in the sire list. And uh, so he is a bit exciting. And he comes after Mujahid, who was for seven years the best Italian sire and was very successful in Italy. But at the moment, probably the hottest is Albert Dock, with uh, a deep impact colt. He raced in, uh, in Japan, where he won group Three and was placed in more than a group one. In a group two, and uh, he actually had a very small first crop of fifteen horses. But at the moment, uh, we are looking for the Italian Derby, where the first and second Itali- Italian trained favorite are bought by Albert
0: Dock. Uh, one of the the National Hunt fraternities great size Shantu, was originally your discovery, wasn't he? Yeah, you you that, you picked it him. Was,
5: that was a nice case. A horse who came to study in Italy and then eventually became successful and was sold abroad.
0: So how did, how did you pick him, uh, Paolo? What what was the story of, of you going to, to get him at John Gosden's? Oh,
5: Santo, That's fantastic. I had uh, I had hosted a very young uh, boy one day that uh, was going to the Italian Derby to collect the prize, the the trophy, if uh, the owner had won. He was just doing a small service for the Dali people. And... Um, I brought him uh, to lunch and I got into some friendship with him. And then eventually one day I discovered that he had made a lot of uh, career and was becoming a big manager in (laughs) Darley. And I told him, please call when a horse, when a good horse injures. Because I thought maybe I could have an opportunity. And eventually Chantou injured and I had mentioned Chantou to him because I had seen him racing in Italy. Where he had won uh, the Grand Prix Milano, Group 1 uh, on 12 forums since San So eventually he ended up protecting turn 2 from, uh, from Darley. And then he became a good stallion. He gave a Group 1 winner in France of the Privet with Spring and that became a very popular uh, sire for uh, National Ant So he was sold abroad and became a very good He was a very good stallion, actually. Was a good stallion, even on the on the
0: flat. I believe we often hear that you know Italian racing has gone through a, a difficult time the last couple of decades.
5: Basically, Italian racing suffered a very um, dramatic uh, reduction in prize money, caused uh, basically by the fact that people wasn't uh, panting on horses anymore because uh, in Italy the um, the betting on resources had a very big majority of the uh, stake that was bet every year in Italy. Because, you know, Italian is a very Catholic country where betting is a bit of a sin, in a sense. And at the time, one could bet basically only on resources because there was a tradition of breeding resources. But then more recently the state has opened the gambling market and you can bet on everything more or less like in England. And uh, so the the betting has spread into all all other sports or events or whatever. And very few people is betting on horses anymore. So there was a a very strong reduction in the prize money. So things became difficult uh, and uh, And I think uh, one day they will change. But basically they will change when we will realize, like in any other place in the world, that uh, the key point is to produce a very nice sport,
0: a very enjoyable sport, that could attract people to it. And... Let me let me ask you, um, Paolo, in, in terms of your own uh, enthusiasm for the for the sport, it sounds as though you, you love it as much as you ever did.
5: Yes, yes, of course. Ooh, I mean, horses are hopes, our dreams. And uh, if you don't uh, love to dream, uh, then you're done,
1: I think. Our thanks to Nick and, of course, to Paolo Crespi there. Right, turning our attention to the States now. It is the Kentucky Derby this weekend. That is where Nick is going to be based for the remainder of the week. As we all know, we've just about had the draw as I'm recording this as we speak, Monday evening. And Santa Anita simulcast host Michelle Yu is with me to talk all things Kentucky Derby. First things first, before the draw, um, we found out that Un Ojo was out of the race. Big impact on the race, Michelle?
6: know if a big impact for the wins by any mean I don't think that he was going to be favored he was a dud in the Arkansas Derby but prior to that he had picked up checks in several different races so he could have been an exotics play for some people and when you're talking about you know NBC coverage everybody loves the story of the one-eyed horse and that's exactly what he was so I think he would have been like a fan favorite but from a real handicapping standpoint I'd probably say not really
1: okay what stories have you picked out coming out of this draw anything that that made you sit back and say good for said horse bad for said horse
6: i really think looking at the draw it's kind of like a neutral situation there was no one i thought was drawn terribly there was no one that i thought was drawn you know oh my gosh that's perfect although i did have a couple of um of connections on my podcast and they got pretty darn close to exactly where they wanted to be. Like Cyberknife, his owner told me I want post 15. He got post 16. One point in time, that wouldn't have been great when we had the split um, gates. But now that we're all in the one big gate, I think it's fine. I think Zandon gets a good draw, right? Smack dab in the middle. I did see some kickback on social media that at the center is a complete toss now because he drew the three. I mean, I'm not ready to, to chalk that up yet.
1: Your chance now, you know the draw, no pressure. You you just take me through the race. What happens from the gates? Who wins?
6: Well, I still haven't decided exactly who wins, right? Like, I now we just did the draw.
1: It's not good enough.
6: It's it's not good enough? I have, like, four horses that I'm going to use. I just don't know exactly what order I'm going to put them in. Um, Looking at it, I, I feel like there's not that crazy speed horse in here that we tend to have like the horse you know doesn't belong because they can't go past six furlongs so like without that horse in there the pace might be a little bit more reasonable I think you'll probably see Messier going up and fighting for the lead, if not being square out on it. And, you know, that's always dangerous because horses that have come under the tutelage of Baffert, which Messier was, they go, 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 and they don't stop a lot. Um, I think Epicenter should be very forwardly placed, especially breaking from down along the inside, like he is going to be situated here. Um, I think that there's going to be I want to say that that summer is tomorrow is also going to be up there in contention. I know that they said they wanted him to be near the lead early. He might end up being relatively close to on unless a horse like Messi decides to like really send and put up fast fractions.
1: OK, so what? So come on, who's the pick?
6: So I I like Epicenter still. He's the division leader in my eyes, even though he wasn't listed as the morning light favorite. Um, He's not dazzling, but he is good. He's had good preps. He's versatile. He's been winning the right way. He has speed. He's got top connections. I mean, there's nothing to dislike about him. So for me, I like Epicenter a lot. Um, Everyone likes Zandon, but, you know, a horse that comes... From behind, I feel like it's really hard to pick your way through the field. So uh, I'll use him, but he's not my top pick. I really like Cyberknife. I hope I get a good price on him. I have him in the futures at 50 to 1. Um, If this horse just keeps moving straight, I think he's a serious contender. And my long shot play for exact Exotics is for sure Barber Road. He is the blue collar hero to me of this entire derby trail. So I love him. And he's making his, the first derby appearance for all of his connections. He's named after his owner's wife's like where she grew up. And, his, and her family still lives there. And they're older. They can't leave um, to come to derby. They're having a neighborhood block party and setting up a huge tent so everyone from the street can come watch the horse run.
1: I love that. So he, he's a for sure play for me too. Love it. That See, five minutes notice, I'm going to call you to talk about the Kentucky Derby and that is thorough. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, right, Jane, you can send us away with the winner, please.
2: I will. I know the flat fans are in full throttle, but I'm going back to robe and that's flat racing today. And I must mention, well done to Joe Tizard on his first winner yesterday as a trainer, even though we know He's been training with his dad for decades now. But Slate House gave him that all-important one at Kempton yesterday. But for my tip, I'm going with Nellie's Money. In the 8pm, the handicap chase at Ballon Robe for Ryan Tracy and Robert Tyner. She was forever too keen uh, the last day when she fell. I hope she relaxes better today. And Nellie's Money hopefully lands the money.
1: See what you did there. Uh, Jane, thank you. Enjoy Chester this week. It's a, a, a great place to go, and I'm sure you're, you're very much looking forward to it.
2: It's, uh, it's been on the bucket list, so I am finally getting there, and I, I cannot wait.
1: It will be. It, it, it is fabulous. Uh, Jade will be there for ITV. Enjoy all of that. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Nick will be back tomorrow from the US. This was Tuesday, the 3rd of May. Bye-bye.